Welcome, everybody. It's time for Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a company founded in 2001. People G2 is dedicated to helping clients with their people-related decisions by giving them access to the best human capital, due diligence, and background checks on prospective candidates, business partners, tenants, and more. So here's your host for the show, the CEO of Talent Talk Radio and People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, welcome, Chris. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining me. Again, my name is Chris Dyer, and I'll be your host for the next hour. In case uh, you're tuning in for the first time, or as some of you very well know, the Talent Talk Radio Show features a wide range of guests who care about talent. On this show, we'll talk about talent in the two different ways that you think about it most. First, as it relates to success and uncovering the secrets of really talented people. And second, we also talk about talent in relation to human resources and how HR leaders, especially today talking to two top HR leaders, find the best candidates. Hopefully you see how that works. The word talent has a couple different meanings, and in the business world, we look to show and explore those two areas. My guests include CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR executives, and much, much more. When I'm out at networking events and industry conferences, I have the privilege of meeting so many inspiring leaders, and I'm always asking them, how'd you do it? What's your secret? And instead of them just telling just me, we'll bring them on this show and let them tell you too. Before I get to my guests, Petra Fetters and Kathy Chamberlain, I want to thank those of you who are tuning in live today. Don't forget you can submit your questions via Twitter. Just tweet to at PeopleG2, hashtag Talent Talk, and my producer Mike will feed me the best questions, and we'll try to work them in on the show. Also, don't forget you can listen in to the show via our podcast on iTunes, as well as subscribe to have the weekly show sent to you. If you're already listening uh, via the podcast, thank you very much. With that said, let's get uh, today's show started. Again, my first guest is Petra Fetters, and uh, my second guest will be Kathy Chamberlain on in the second half of the show. So, Petra, welcome to the show. Thank you. So, tell us a little bit about yourself and a bit about your background in HR and, of course, your work here there at uh, BDS Marketing. Sure. Well, first, it's an honor to be here, so thank you very much for having me. Um, My pleasure. So just to go backwards a little bit, I've been in HR for about 15 years. I graduated from San Diego State with a degree in psychology, and I attained my senior professional in human resources in 2008. And I knew when I originally graduated that I wanted to do something with people, uh, but I also wasn't really sure if I necessarily wanted to go into HR initially because um, I wasn't so much inspired by the HR of the 90s, but I did see the potential of what it could become in the future. So I stuck with it, and I progressed in my career. And Now, now is the HR of the 90s, was that like people wearing plaid shirts and <laughs> grunge? Or? I would say that it was a little bit more of a transactional type of mm, okay. uh, focus, and uh, there was a big focus on compliance, and at least from my experience, um, it wasn't necessarily so much about the voice of the people. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I do feel like good HR starts with psychology. Um, it's really about the behavior of the people and uh, the culture. And um, I was really excited at the prospect of where that could go and where we could take it. Oh, great. Uh, BDS Market was, was recently honored by, I think it was the American Business Awards, receiving the Golden Stevie Award for Human Resources Department of the Year. That's quite an honor. 
So what is it that you're doing in the area of human resources that has really set you apart and kind of brought upon that great award? Well, I think it's been a few years coming, and last year is when it really came together. Um, I I wanted to break through some of the stereotypes that HR has, and I wanted to make sure that we, we had credibility with the business. And so when I thought back about how can we establish credibility with the business, the only way to do that is to put ourselves in their shoes. For our business, which is the agency world, our business folks either produce results for their clients or they don't. So for us, it was we've got to be able to produce results in order to gain credibility. And um, it was really how do we get those wins, right? How Mm -hmm. do we create a transformational type of a team where we're impacting change? And so we looked at how we can make a direct impact on the business and on the clients that we have. And we chose those opportunities and just went after them pretty hard. We completely revamped our recruiting model. We built a brand new learning platform. Um, We've made a pretty big impact in development. We reduced our turnover. And I think the most beautiful thing about it is that we didn't do any of those things via any kind of a financial investment. So it was really the only investment came from the heart of of my people and my team and um doing all of that we also ended up saving about two hundred thousand dollars by by redoing our recruiting model specifically so no big system no big consulting firm we did all of it we just rolled our sleeves up and sleeves up and got the work done ourselves uh, that's great so you mentioned you've been with bds market for eight years and you've probably had experience with many different changes and the way you know the way human resources is really handled so with so many changes and with what you just described, as, as well as changes that have been going on since that time with employment laws and other areas, how have you changed your strategic approach to HR over the years? Well, I don't, that's a great question. I don't necessarily think that I've changed my approach, but I do think that I've come into my own as it relates to my approach. If I go backwards and I think of the vision that I had for what HR could be originally, I think that all of the changes in employment law is just one of the factors of how different HR is today. We have also um, new generations coming into the workforce. We still have the, the older generations as well, right? So I think it's really become more so about giving the people a voice. So HR today, at least in in, in my world, there's a lot more development programs. There's a lot more engagement surveys. There's a lot more, what do you guys think? What can we do better for you? Mm-hmm. And really listening to what the people are saying. Now, going back to the employment laws and regulations, absolutely, they're definitely painful. But you've got to have people on your team that are dedicated to proactively managing it. You've got to have good partners, counsel that really knows your business, and you need to be able to really put practices into place that are about doing the right thing for the people, about being fair and consistent. And I think when you do that, you naturally end up embracing what the employment regulations are all about, right? Because employment law is really there to protect those that aren't able to stand up for themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You mentioned something early in your response there about the different generations, and, and I'm wondering if... Kind of, I've been asking this question recently to a lot of people uh, that I've been talking to, kind of outside from the radio show, and that's in how they're communicating with the many gen- different generations that are. It seems like that's it's kind of peak right now, and maybe mm-hmm. maybe it's going to get worse over time, or more complex, I should say, not worse, but more complex. 
because there's certainly people, if we have a big initiative in our company and we want to change something, I have a group of people that I need to call and talk to or bring into a room. I have a group of people I need to email, and I have a group of people I need to text. <laughs> and that's the most effective way for me to communicate it to those different groups of people. And, and you're and, doing it all at the same time, right? Well, and, and <laughs> you're, you're doing right. So but you can't like... You know, if I bring everyone into a room, only part of them are really listening. And if I email everyone, not everyone's reading it, right? And if mm-hmm. I text them, not everyone, some people are like, what are you texting me for? But other people, that's what they want. Mm-hmm. You know, they want that. They just want to read it. Okay, got it. Move on. Um, and that's generally cut down uh, age lines. It's not totally. I have some p- people that kind of bump those misconceptions. But I'm wondering if you're seeing that as well as something that's transforming in your organization with how do you communicate these things? You, you, you see kind of that complexity Within your organization? Absolutely. I think that it, it, it definitely impacts your communication strategy. And going back again to the voice of the people, and you've got to really listen to the people in terms of how they want to be communicated to. What is the best way to get that message across? And you, as the employer, you have a responsibility to cater that message. Um, I think it's very old school for us to think that we should be able to say something once and everyone should hear us and 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 get it done yeah, right it doesn't doesn't work like that it's just like there's different learners there's different communicators so you said you just spent a lot of time kind of revamping your recruiting process so let's maybe talk about that for a second you know with sort of your, you really had your hands on that recruiting process and making that big change you know what are some of the keys or tools that you utilize to bringing in the top talent into your organization bds is a very um, relationship focused company Uh, We're very people-centric. Mark Dean, who is our CEO and our founder, is a leader that comes from the heart, and it definitely translates down to the culture. And so many of the tools that we utilize, obviously we have standard tools that everybody else uses, but I think what's most successful or what sets us apart is the relationship-based tools. So I'll give you one example, referral programs, right? Referral programs, a lot of companies do that. Ours is called Talent Scout. And um, we saw a couple years ago, we saw a really big trend in individuals that were getting referred by our top performers. We saw that those people had higher tenure, and we saw that they also had higher performance. So we said, okay, let's, let's go after this. Let's drive this and see what we can do with it. And we doubled the amount of hires that we made last year through our referral program and i think that that speaks volumes to to the relationship right um another example is uh we have something called a-list pipelining and r2g so a-list is really about building relationship with candidates or people who have worked for us in the past and keeping that relationship going so if you want to work for bds just because we don't have something for you today, it doesn't mean we're not going to have something for you in the next few months. And we're going to keep talking to you. We're going to keep getting to know you because the culture fit is a big... Cultivating that thing. I mean, that's kind of what sales does, right? I mean, they may not not be ready to to buy yet, but you keep cultivating that and you can do that with talent as well. Exactly. And it's it's really dynamic. You know, just another example last year in fourth quarter, we run a lot of project projects for our clients and we hired 12 field managers in a two-week period and why did we and how did we do that some of those people we had a relationship with from a candidate standpoint others were what we referred to as boomerangs they've worked for us before mm-hmm. we're fit with the culture and we wanted to bring them back right well that's great so you know think back to your 
work experience. You can go as far back as, as your first job. I mean, for a lot of people, that uh, has a big impact on them now. But, you know, what are some of the things that influenced the type of leader that you are today? That's a great question. Um, when, when, I, when I look back, it really, I am the leader that I am today because of all the mistakes that I've made all the trials and errors that I've been through and uh, bad decisions. I think that those make you stronger, right? And you learn so much of them because there's nothing there's nothing that's a greater teacher than, than consequences. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I definitely don't undervalue the power of experience. And it, it takes time to get there. I think people so under-recognize, uh, under let's say, the impact of failure. And they look at someone who's successful and they think, oh, I'd like to be like them. And then what they don't realize is that person's probably just failed 10 or 15 times more than they have because they took the risk, they tried new things, and they figured out what actually works. And you have to be willing to take risks. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. So, you know, I I love this next question, and and we'll we'll see what your answer is. But, um, you know, who or what has had the greatest impact on your personal leadership development? There's been a lot of people throughout my career that have been great coaches and great mentors to me, and um, I've learned so much from them. But when I really think about that question in terms of who's had the most impact on my on my abilities and me as a leader, it would have to be the individuals that have either worked with me or for me that didn't necessarily subscribe to my style of management and my style of leadership. Those are the individuals that really challenge you and they mm-hmm. make you take a step back and you start asking yourself, what am I doing right? What am I doing wrong? Is there a different approach that I should be taking? Am I missing something? And it gives you perspective mm-hmm. and it really makes you look at yourself in terms of how can I be better? And um, I wouldn't be who I am today without those people. And sometimes you try a new approach and you do win them over and other times you don't. And that's okay too, right? Right, right. Well, with some of that reflection, is there was there a specific skill or technique that you feel really contributes to your role, but maybe you had to kind of really work on over time to really get there? Well, there's a few, definitely. Um, but I think that if I was to think of one specifically and one in particular, it would it would have to be patience. Um, it's something that I've uh, worked on over the years, and um, I realize that there's a certain power in sometimes stepping back and just patiently waiting for someone to finish talking or patiently waiting for someone to make a really important decision or having patience with your people as it relates to their development. I think patience is probably going to be biggest one that's a hard thing to learn for some people that's hard-coded one way or the other so yes. if you're able to kind of make improvements there that that, that can be huge well they say uh, like I mentioned earlier consequence is the greatest teacher right so through actions of impatience I've definitely gotten better and stronger in that area so we've kind of talked about all these different changes that you've made and ways that you've changed and ways you've been influenced and so and as that relates to people or experiences but I'm also wondering if you're, in some ways, a student of, of this area as well. So, you know, are there any books that you're reading you might share with us? I'm an avid reader. So I usually have a couple books on my tablet, and I have one hard copy that I'm walking around with. So it's it's definitely my refuge. But right now, um, the book that I started reading uh, that I'm the most focused on, it's called The Challenger Sale. 
And um, it's definitely interesting because I think it really challenges the some of the stereotypes or some of our understandings of what makes salespeople good mm-hmm. at what they are, right? right? So is it really about relationships or is it about more than that? Yeah, so, according to that book, it's not about relationships. And right. That, right. And that person is hardly getting where they need to go. It's that person, the challenger, right? It's the person that exactly really pushes buttons. Pushes their challenges. Without their pushing client. them too far, but pushes them enough to get them to think about things in a new way. Right. So it's a really great business book. Yeah, it is a great if, if the listeners out there haven't read it, I definitely suggest it. CEOs, sales, I had my sales staff read it. We did some workshops around it, and we kind of bring up topics from time to time in sales meetings that relate to things in the book. It, it, it really was a good a way to think about things in a different way. And even HR people should read it because it yeah. puts them into that mindset of where the salespeople are coming from. Well, you can make the argument we're all selling all the time. Right. No matter what job you're in, you're selling something. Very Yourself, true. Yourself, what your initiative is, your project, your work, whatever it is, you know. Absolutely. Uh, your spouse you're always selling i i I actually said we're always negotiating but i mean it's a very similar thing definitely negotiating right (laughs) so i'd like to ask you about your creative process as well you know how do you brainstorm effectively with your team or how do you think you know kind of creatively or get other people to think creatively well for myself um i'm i like to write and i like to draw so um usually it's it starts with really doing research and really building the the base of the platform of information and then um just thinking and analyzing and and doodling and uh writing down anything that comes to mind and really visualizing where you're trying to go i think visualization is is a really big part of my own personal process with my team i'm really fortunate because i I have have a really strong team and um it's really a matter of just going to them letting them know where you want to end up um getting them going facilitating the process throwing in a few concepts that could be considered devil's advocate type of concepts Mm -hmm. and just letting them fly um i have a tendency to stick my fingers into the process sometimes and they gently remind me to stay out (laughs) and um I remind myself that I trust them completely because of the great work that they do. And I, I really think there's nothing more powerful than than trust through empowerment as it relates to the creative process. Because if you release, if you unleash people, they'll come up with some really amazing stuff. Yeah. I mean, one of the big factors for success is autonomy. Yep. People need to have that ability to go in on their own, try to figure it out with the tools they need and everything. Right. but. They need to be able to go and try to solve those problems. They feel so much better about themselves, about their job, about everything. They have some autonomy. Builds confidence, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. it doesn't mean yeah. they're not going to come back to you. It doesn't mean you're not going to have a discussion. It doesn't mean they're free to do whatever they want, but they're free to go and try to solve that problem themselves without three managers over their head telling them people, which way to turn. And people will surprise you. They will yeah, they will. You. They really, yeah. really will. Because I've kind of found when they get micromanaged and they, they give you exactly what you expect, which is exactly. about nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you encourage others who work for you that really to kind of develop themselves and become better at their own work? Well, I, I'm, a, I'm a big subscriber to Tom Rath and Marcus Buckingham's um, Discover Your Strengths. So I really believe that um, everybody has their strengths and um, they have weaknesses. And it's really a matter of capitalizing on those strengths and figuring out how to manage your weakness. 
And so I have a lot of conversations with my people about this is what I see as your strength. This is what I see as your opportunity. I like to call it opportunity versus weakness. And um, here's how we're going to figure out how to manage that particular opportunity. And here's what I want you to do in terms of building on that strength. And um, a lot of it is also giving them a visual, seeing them, um, supporting them to see the future of where they could be if they capitalize on their strengths, right? This is where you could be. These are all the different things that you could do. Now, let me help you along that path by giving you experiences, giving you visibility into into the process, into the different functions that you need to learn how to do, right? So how are you asking them to handle their weakness or opportunity as you, you framed it? I mean, are, are they trying to develop themselves and become better at something that they're not good at? Or are they trying to find ways to to avoid being put in a situation where they're not going to be successful and instead bringing in other people to help them or to let someone else take over that thing that they're not good at. Yeah, so I think that, um, you know, you can look at if you are a um, higher-level individual that's ultimately responsible for for budgets and maybe that's not necessarily your strength, you're still going to have to do it. So you've got to figure out how to manage that particular opportunity. But um, I was just having a conversation with someone about this earlier today most of it is really bringing people on your team that are going to round you out. So if you know that you have a weakness in a particular area or an opportunity, you're second in command, that should be their strength. Mm-hmm. And you should be allowing them and empowering them to play to that. So I think that's um, that's the key is really rounding out your team right? to make sure that you have uh, a multitude of of skills. Well, and I think you're right on on target there because, and I brought this up last week with I think our guest uh, Hong Bui. I've asked a lot of CEOs a similar question about strengths and weaknesses, and they generally always tell me to to really work at their your weakness, get better at what you're not good at. And then when I ask them what they do, they say, "Oh, but I don't do that." They say, "I I do what I'm good at, and I delegate the stuff that I'm terrible at." and get other people who are strong at those things. But yet their advice is always to get better at what you're not good at, and yet they don't do that. So it's funny, the, the discrepancy there, but I think the real way to do it is to identify what is a problem for you, to be honest with yourself, and mm-hmm. to get somebody else involved in that process. You may still need to manage it. You may still need to deal, like you said, someone who doesn't do well with budgets but is in charge of them has to certainly understand at a certain level, mm-hmm. but they don't need to be sitting there crunching the numbers if that's what wants them you know, to make them go jump off a bridge. They can have somebody else who really enjoys that work. You know, yeah. and then they can look at the final product and manage it from there. And I think, you know, um, it really comes back to you realize that when you're working and when you're playing to your strengths, you enjoy what you do. And that's where your passion comes from. And it it becomes so much more enjoyable to right. do what you do. So how do you get the, the best out of each person? I believe that you have to truly believe that the individuals on your team or the people around you have a untapped potential. And um, you have to believe to your core that people want to do good, that they have good intentions. And if they're not necessarily doing good, it's not, it's not because that they don't want to. It's because they may not necessarily have the skills or the experience to do good. So it's your responsibility to make sure that you're providing them with the opportunities to do that, um, encourage your people 
make sure that you are um, recognizing them no matter how small their wins are. Um, one of the best way I think that you can really build up confidence is if you're in a higher level position, ask the people that work for you what they think. Ask them their opinion. Ask them for their perspective because there's nothing more, there's no bigger confidence booster than having someone in a higher level role that wants to know how you would handle something or what you think. We, one of my very first guests was a, a woman who's a mentor of mine named Kim Shepard from uh, Decision Toolbox. She's a recruiting company in Orange County. One of the things she does that's very interesting is they actually give an award out each week for the biggest boo-boo. So they actually give a gift card to someone for admitting the mistake that they made publicly and then kind of go out there and, and they admit it. They talk about it. They all talk about how they could have avoided it and solved it. And they learn from it. And they learn from it. Yeah, so instead great. of having this environment where the mistakes are bad, where mistakes are, you hide from them, they're actually, you're trying to get everyone to go out there and talk about the mistake they made so other people don't make it. You have this kind of huge bits of knowledge that are in there. That's great. It's a learning environment for yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, it, it was really fantastic to have you on the show today. I hope you'll come back at some point. We'd love it's to have you be here. on here and talk again. So the last and probably the most important question is, is if people want to get a hold of you or learn more about uh, BDS marketing, how do they do that? Well, they can definitely visit our website at www.bdsmarketing.com, and uh, they can either email me or they can um, call the main line and, and ask for me. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being on the Talent Talk radio show. It was thank a pleasure you having, having you. Me. You're, you're very, very welcome. It's great to be here. Up next, Kathy Chamberlain will be on the show after this quick commercial break. Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. A cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge. With the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days. All with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. Talent Talk Radio Show is brought to you by People G2, a company dedicated to helping you with your people-related decisions. They do that by providing access to the best human capital, due diligence, and background checks on prospective candidates, business partners, tenants, and much more. People G2 has recently been included on the Inc. 5000 list of fastest-growing privately-owned companies, as well as being recognized and honored as one of the best places to work right here in Orange County by the Orange County Business Journal. So if you want to learn more about all the things that they do and what it's like to work there, 
check them out online, www.peopleg2.com. That's People G2. Or you can certainly go to Facebook or their Twitter handle is hashtag PeopleG2. All that will take you to the most interesting and innovative people that we know that bring you this show each and every week, Talent Talk, with your host, Chris Dyer, and his next guest. Who's up next? Welcome back to the Talent Talk radio show. Just a quick reminder before we get to our next guest that you can subscribe to the podcast of this show and listen to past shows by clicking on octalkradio.net and clicking on the show tabs and clicking on, well, you guessed it, Talent Talk. In the short time we've existed, we've amassed a huge following on iTunes, and we really, really appreciate it. My next guest is Kathy Chamberlain. Don't forget to tweet your questions live right now for her by sending them to at PeopleG2, hashtag Talent Talk. Without further ado, Kathy, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. Glad to be here. So tell us about yourself and your background as it you know pertains to talent acquisition and uh, HR leadership development. All right. Well, I've been in human resources for about 13 years, and I've worked at a variety of companies. My experience specifically relating to recruiting or talent acquisition started when I graduated from UCLA, and I landed my first real job at Accenture, where I recruited other recent college graduates. Since that time, I've primarily focused on generalist duties in large companies. However, in the past four years, I've concentrated on recruiting at my current employer, Green Street Advisors. So Green Street Advisors employs exceptionally bright analysts amongst other talented employees, and because we're a small firm, we're very selective about who we bring on board. Additionally, we look to hire future leaders of the firm, so it's critical that we make the hiring process robust. As for leadership development, I obtained my master's degree in industrial organizational psychology, where a large portion of the curriculum centered on leadership development. I was eager to take the skills I had learned in school and apply them at work, and I was fortunate to work with such companies like Johnson & Johnson, who invested heavily in their learning and development departments and who expected their HR business partners, so including myself, to work closely with leaders to ensure that succession plans were in place. Um, and so basically through that time, um, I was considered at the variety of companies that I worked at to be a trusted partner and to offer insight on items such as mentoring, advancement, and uh, even communication. So you mentioned some of the companies you work for, Johnson & Johnson, I think you also work for Gateway and the Irvine Company and currently with Green Street Advisors. You know, what has been the most rewarding aspect of your role in those companies that, you know, kind of pertains to talent acquisition and leadership development? Um, I think I, I could talk about my current position because it's really unique in that I work at a small boutique firm. So there isn't a need for a large HR department, which is what I had really experienced um, prior to that. So because of the fact that the team is so small, I handle both recruiting and generalist functions. And it's been incredibly rewarding watching individuals go from a strong candidate to a great hire to a developing leader, um, always rooting for candidates to land a position with us. And when that happens, I'm truly excited for them and their career development. There are multiple hurdles that these individuals need to jump across in order to receive an offer, so it's a big deal. Um, We look to hire future leaders, so it feels intrinsically satisfying to me to play a part in their development and to be there through all phases. Yeah, and as we all know, any role in a company that kind of 
put you in place of a strategic decision making can also have its challenges. So can you maybe talk about some of the challenges you faced when it came to kind of utilizing that talent within a company? At any company, as an HR business partner, you deal with your fair share of employee relations issues. So when it comes to how to best utilize talent, you need to think and act strategically and find the best fit for particular individuals within the organization. So although I'm not able to share specific examples due to company confidentiality, when trying to utilize talent, this can come in a form of executive coaching, team planning, or even a role change from one department to another. Well, that can certainly be a challenge, I mean, moving from one department to another if it's not a right fit, but maybe they're you know, certainly a talented person or uh, could be a better fit in a particular area. I mean, that could be a big challenge. Um, and those are probably one of the common things that people think of. I and mean, we're certainly not talking about somebody streaking at the Christmas party or some of the other more annoying things that maybe HR has to deal with. But the real deep, intrinsic things that you have to deal with, that development and finding the right place for the right person. Is that, is that kind of what you're talking about? Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you know that someone is talented, but it just might not be the right position. And so being able to find a spot or even make a spot. So how how is your kind of overall work experience? I mean, not just the companies that you, you mentioned, but even going farther as far back, maybe as your first job, you know, how has your work experience influenced the type of leader you are today? Well, in human resources, you have an opportunity to see what goes on behind the scenes. So from all of my past experiences, I've seen what doesn't work in a leadership role. And so most important to me from um, looking at all the experiences, I, I think it's not to break someone's trust, which is critical from an HR standpoint, to always be honest, ethical, and don't make promises you can't keep. So it also helps to be approachable. And, and so, you know, how has that uh, kind of translated into, you know, maybe who's overall, what kind of person or maybe a particular incident has had the greatest impact on your leadership development? You know, I just look back to I've had an opportunity to work with some really inspiring managers, and each person that I've worked for, um, I've been able to, through on-the-job training, really, you know, just to take from them what I consider to be an area of my own personal toolkit that, that needed to be groomed. So I would say that all of my past managers have really helped contribute to um, my own leadership development. Wasn't like a specific person that maybe had the, the most overall impact on you? I mean, some people kind of mentioned their, their mom or their dad. A couple of weeks ago, we had someone mention their rabbi, um, you know, the boss from their very first job. Was there any like a particular person that maybe had a very profound impact on you? Um, one of my managers, he his name is Andrew Bartlow, and um, he was just so inspiring in terms of his vision for HR, and he really lived and breathed it, and he worked so hard. And that's not to say that, you know, any of my other managers weren't inspiring or didn't work um, at the same level that he did, but he just, he, you know, he really had a way of inspiring, and um, it, it really stuck with me. Yeah, those kind of people can sometimes be contagious, so you can really learn a lot from them when you feel that yeah. passion is there, kind of, kind of, you know, bleeding out of them. 
you know, is there a, a specific skill or technique that maybe you feel contributes to your role now, but you know, maybe you had to work on over time, and, and maybe how'd you get there? Well, I think something that's important to my role is being comfortable with decisions, and HR is a big legal arena, and there are definitely things that you can and can't say. Um, it feels like businesses get sued left and right these days, and if you let it, it can be paralyzing. I've been in a variety of industries, but I feel well-versed in the HR aspects of California law, and that confidence, I believe, contributes to my comfort level. So it's really been on-the-job training, especially when it involves employee relations issues. Usually it's never the same issue, and by the time that it reaches me, um, people have vetted their options and they're in crisis mode and they're desperate for help and they want to be heard, and so that can be stressful if you let it. So you have to see in shades of gray. It's definitely not black and white, and just try to use those past experiences to guide you. So you've mentioned some great, you know, influences of, of people in your past and uh, that you had to work with, uh, companies that you've had. But for many people who are talented or that are very good at finding talented people, they're also always working on themselves kind of individually or, you know, on their own time. So I like to ask this people this question, you know, are, are there any books that you're reading right now that you might tell us about? Well, um, I guess this answer will have a, a professional and a personal component because I've downloaded uh, the chief HR officer. It's defining the new role. So this really has to do with current thinking on the evolving role of HR and just how HR has these days greater accountability to the CEOs and to the board and how to do more with less. But to be honest, I have a seven-month-old daughter, and so a lot of the reading that I've been doing has been pertaining to um, baby sleep books, and um, right now I'm starting to make all of her food from scratch, so um, I'm reading right now a wholesome baby food guide. So not, um, uh, as I mentioned, it has both components, so that's definitely, from a personal standpoint, it seems to be um, eating a lot of my time. Well, and that's a... That's certainly a tough one to deal with. I have a friend that's got a five-month-old, and they've read just about every book on sleep, and they still can't get their, their baby to sleep more than two hours at night. So if you can find the secret, let me know. Still searching, read for. <laughs> <laughs> I think the answer might just be time. but <laughs> So I'd like to kind of ask you about the creative process that you go through. How do you think creatively and kind of, you know, and get others to think creatively around you? Well, for my own creative process, what I really like to do is at the end of the day, I like to, once the office is quiet, sit down and make my to-do list for the next day and just reserve, you know, 10 to 15 minutes to just think about how I want to prioritize my day. And a lot of times ideas come to me, I jot it down, and then the next morning when I come into work, um, that's what I focus on. So I'm ready to execute and to move forward. Um, in terms of, I guess, trying to work with others on the creative process, I do, I do a lot of reading in terms of articles or magazines, um, from an HR standpoint. And if I see something that looks like, you know, it might be a good fit for the company, I try to introduce the topic. 
Um, it doesn't, you know, necessarily mean that that's something that's going to be done or the exact same idea will be utilized. But I do think that bringing up the topic creates a dialogue that helps inspire and facilitate discussion around, you know, what might be right for um, the particular company. You know, you can get them kind of thinking creatively and you can find the right people in the organization. And one of the big challenges is, Really, how do you encourage them to develop themselves on their own and to become better at their own work? Do you have any tips or thoughts on that? I think that it's really important to have two-way dialogue um, to make sure that others are involving their team in terms of decisions and discussions, um, to be able to you know, trust your team members, to delegate um, so I, I think in terms of others developing their own talent, I think it's one of those situations where if you're giving to others, I think in a way you're helping to contribute to your own success. And within that same vein, are, are you able to, are there particular thing, like more uh, tactical approaches that you take to try to get the most out of each person? Um, just, you know, thinking about... In terms of a tactical standpoint, I, I really think, you know, if, if you're going to work on a particular task and you want to see someone have a development opportunity on their own, to really maybe have them handle it and see how they do, ask them for their input in terms of um, what decisions should be made, so have them go through that uh, process of thinking through the answers themselves and really kind of growing and helping shape them through on-the-job training and, and really going through the process themselves. You're really kind of suggesting a very cooperative environment, one where maybe there's a constant dialogue and, and checking back as far as what that person thinks, what they believe, what they understand to know is, is really a part of a key part of your process to be successful. Is that a, a good way to frame it? Absolutely, and I think it really helps build confidence, too. Yeah. Well, you mentioned that, you know, with the firm that you're out now, uh, Green Street, and kind of being a boutique firm, and the people you bring in can really be there for long term and be a part of really how that company is going to grow and succeed in the future. What is your biggest challenge, then, in recruiting the top talent for your company? Since you're kind of being very picky, almost, you could say, and in bringing just that right person at the right time. Um, I think one of the challenges is that within the niche market um, and, and within the financial arena, you know, people know who the company is. But outside of that, so for example, if I was recruiting someone for um, another position outside of an analyst role, um, because it's not as well known, I, I think there is a challenge with um, brand recognition. That can make things a little tricky when you have to go seek top candidates versus having them come to you. But um, I think just being creative in terms of the postings, where to look for particular positions, and, you know, the firm itself in terms of what they offer from a competitive package as well as from even a, a lifestyle standpoint, I think all those things are really important and can help overcome some of that brand recognition. So when you're looking at those people coming in the door, 
how important is it or how much time do you spend really trying to determine is this something they really love to do versus something that they're maybe just really good at? Is that, is that kind of factor into your decision-making process? Absolutely. I think you can really tell when someone is passionate about what they do. It shines through. And when you're making hiring decisions, making the wrong hiring decisions can have a really big impact because you've invested the time in training, getting someone up to speed, going through the candidate search process, possibly even relocating someone. So it's really important from the start to make sure that you know, whoever is in a particular position is, is that is that they enjoy what they do. Um, I know I can speak from my own experience. You know, I just enjoy getting up in the morning and going in. And, and I, I think it, it really, when people are passionate about what they do, I think it shows. I think it's great for morale. When people are not happy or not passionate or, it really can have a, a negative impact. Well, and speaking of sort of the negative side of it, you know, have you had a painful lesson that maybe you've learned from in your career? When I got into human resources, I was really looking at it from originally from an organizational planning and strategy aspect. That was what really excited me. And given, I, I really had, had focused more on the strategic and less on the day to day. And so the more time that I spent, in HR and in generalist roles, the more consideration um, needed to be given to employer relations. And I, early in my career, I realized that um, I would be terminating people. And, you know, that's, I think that's really a painful thing to do. Um, it, you know, never gets easier. And um, it, it goes hand in hand with the role. Um, if, you know, that's something that's required, but it's definitely, you know, if you are, um, developing relationships with the people that you work with and at some point, you know, if that has to be severed, it's, it's painful in itself. We're just about here at the end of the interview. The, the, the last question I wanted to make sure we asked you is if someone's interested in learning more about you or about Green Street, you know, how, how do they find you? You know, they can definitely reach out to me via email. Um, my email is um, kchamberlain at greenstreet.com. Um, I'm also on the website as well, so they can find my information there. And if you know someone is interested in a current position, we also have our careers page, so they can take a look at the careers that are listed on the site and see if there's anything that they might be a good fit for. Well, certainly there'll be a lot of great, talented people that are listening to the show today, so if they're interested in a a career with Green Street, they can check you out. Well, Kathy, thank you so much for being on the show today. Uh, really uh, enjoyed hearing everything you had, to, your opinions and things that you had to say. That's about all the time that we have. Thank you again to my special guest, Petra Fetters, and of course, Kathy Chamberlain, who we just spoke to. Tune in next week at the same time, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, for Talent Talk, brought to you by People G2, to hear Bruce Lewalt. CEO of BrainX, talk about the science behind learning and training, as well as Brad Cook, VP of Global Talent Acquisition at Informatica. Until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today.
You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio Show brought to you by People G2, a company dedicated to helping you with your people-related decisions. Only on octalkradio.net.